Welcome in to another new podcast from the Association for Materials Protection and Performance. My name is Ben Dubose, and I'm a staff writer with Materials Performance Magazine, also known as MP. Today, as we continue our MP interview series, talking to various experts in the corrosion industry, we're joined by Troy Rankin, president of Far West Corrosion Control Company. Founded in 1956, Far West remains privately held and is a certified family and woman-owned business. The company is headquartered in Downey, California, with eight regional operations and over 175 employees nationwide. The company describes itself as an industry pioneer and a leader in comprehensive cathodic protection and corrosion control services and related products. On that note, Troy, good morning. How are you? Uh, Good morning, Ben. Thank you very much. Doing well, thank you. appreciate uh, joining the podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Some may remember that we had Troy on last summer. And on today's show, what we're going to be talking about is recent developments within the cathodic protection market, or CP market, we should say. Within that space, Far West recently introduced the RefCheck VPR test instrument for voltage potential restoration, which we published that in the news section over at materialsperformance.com. If you want to call that up, it was posted January 6th with the headline, New Test Instrument for Voltage Potential Restoration. And you should also be able to find the link in the summary description, wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Anyway, I think a good place to start is by looking at some of the problems historically. So, Troy, what are some of the usual limitations that make it hard for CP technicians to get accurate voltage potential or structured or soil readings when they're out in the field? What type of feedback do you all get? Well, um, this started from our own experiences and that of our customers in that when using a permanent, well, we used to call a permanent or stationary reference electrode, we never knew if that reference electrode was providing an accurate number, an accurate reading. So uh, ourselves or our customers never exactly knew, was this really an accurate reading? And we base a lot of our decisions on cathodic protection from these readings. So uh, getting an accurate potential reading is very critical. And uh, so that's what started this. And our, our lead engineer, John Bollinger, uh, this was his idea. And so he started the RefCheck line, and, and he started early uh, on. And this is a, a new version of that same instrument that uh, makes it a lot simpler for the operators to, uh, to use. So, uh, but yeah, that's how, how it all started. What is it specifically that makes it, or at least in the past, has made it so difficult to get those readings? What is, or what are some of the stumbling blocks when these people are out in the field that they run into that makes it so challenging? Sure. Well, um, obtaining the reading is is simple. You know, we're using a voltmeter or reference electrode, mm-hmm. but when we're using a buried or um, stationary reference electrode, they tend to dry out or they deteriorate over time. And we don't have a really good way of knowing if the number that they're giving us is going to be accurate. So in some cases, there's just poor contact to earth caused by that drying. We we see that a lot here in, uh, on the West because just the arid conditions that we typically live with. So basically, the deterioration over time or the drying out of these reference electrodes is what causes these issues. So when we take that reading, if we're using a compromised reference electrode, we don't know that. And then the reading is then incorrect. It's not accurate. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we're taking bad information and making those decisions based on that information. How frequently do you need to be doing this? I'm sure it varies based on environment, but when you talk about the drying out phenomenon, what's the role of frequency in this process? 
Well, it depends. Uh, there are regulations about that, so it depends on the customer. And sometimes they may take monthly readings or more or less frequent depending on the, the conditions, the structure, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, water companies will take readings less frequently than, than our oil and gas customers because regulations in the oil and gas field tell them that they have to. So, um, But uh, it is on regular intervals that they're taking these uh, voltage readings. So you mentioned a little bit about the redesigned RefCheck VPR. Tell us about some of the environments where that can be used. I think you did a good job of explaining generally how it works and what it seeks to do. What are some of the applications and how can it be used out in the field? Well, um, the application is what it was designed for, <clears throat> excuse me, was mostly for pipeline operators when they're taking these potential readings along the pipeline on regular intervals. And uh, so that's where it was designed to be used, <clears throat> excuse me, in conjunction with the uh, digital multimeter that they're already using. <clears throat> excuse me, they are plugging this RefCheck VPR into this multimeter and in to the reference electrode and the and the structure in this case a pipe and so what it does it is increases meter sensitivity to where we can now obtain an accurate reading even from a compromised or unhealthy reference electrode you've referenced being out on the west coast you all are based in california correct we are yes and and most of our work is done on the west however we have as you said, locations around the country. So we see those other locations as well, but we're in a very dry, arid condition yeah. out here. What are the differences from region to region when you're using, I guess not just this tool, but generally taking measurements on pipelines? What's different in California than it is somewhere else? Obviously, there's the dryness factor that you reference, but when we're looking at these different environments across the U.S., what are some of the factors that you should be taking into consideration? Well, uh, drying is the main consideration. So if I'm in Pennsylvania where it's, we get a lot of rain, then I don't worry so much about the drying of the earth. So we need good contact between our reference electrode and the pipe and able to, to, be, to obtain that good reading. So when it dries out uh, in a very dry condition, we don't have that. We have a very high-resistance electrical connection, and um, that creates some difficulty. So when that happens, we add water to our reference electrodes to make to our portable reference electrode so we can get a very good contact to earth but when we have that stationary or permanent reference electrode that's buried in the earth we may not get water to it and mm -hmm. we don't know the health or condition of that reference electrode hence the use of the uh, the ref check you've been in the business a long time i mentioned far west has now been 56 years i believe what's changed now relative to 10, 20 years ago, what are some of the new technologies with this tool that are sort of um, reshaping the market, if you will? What's different in 2021 that couldn't be done a few years ago? Well, um, that's a good question. You know, if we look way back into history, the folks at MC Miller had an instrument that was called, uh, I think, oh, I'm going to date myself here, but it was a B3. <laughs> and that instrument allowed the technicians of the time to collect accurate data. But as time went on, less people understood how that worked. And so that became an issue over time. And so seeing that, and, and most people not owning that very expensive instrument, and if they did, not understanding the, uh, the ways to use it, 
it, it became just sort of a lost art. And so John Bollinger, as I mentioned, saw this. He said, we need to make this simple for the operators to use or our customers or even our own technicians to use so they can deal with this problem, and, but on a simplified basis. So let's talk specifically about 2021 now, shifting gears a little bit sure. to the very current dynamics, if you will, with the pandemic and everything else going on in modern times. What's business been like for you guys the last few months? I know when we talked in, uh, I believe it was June, we talked about there being a little right. bit of a slowdown in the spring of last year, given the uncertainty of COVID and then expecting business to pick back up. What has it been like the last few months and what's your expectations for 2021? Well, 2020 for everybody has been very difficult and in the you know, cathodic projection and corrosion industry, it, it's the same, but certainly not to any level that we've seen in other industries. So in that regard, we've been fortunate. 2021, we're expecting hopefully a better a better year certainly we're hoping for improvement but we believe it will be slow you know when COVID happened it was a quick decline and so i think coming back is just going to be over the long term we won't see it in a week or a month it's going to be over months where we would see sort of a return to normalcy um and you know there's concerns with inflation for 2021 we're already seeing some of that now in some of our commodities copper uh um, platinum, even something called iridium in some of our anodes, has mm -hmm. gone up very quickly. Magnesium prices have started to increase due to uh, market pressures, but then shipping pressures from uh, China, where most of them come. Mm -hmm. So that's taking mm -hmm. has taken its toll, and, and I don't know when that will reverse. Uh, and then, of course, COVID, we're, we're coming at it very slowly. Uh, we're still seeing delivery issues because of uh, the supply chain. We just can't, you know, our customer, sorry, our supply uh, industry is not able to respond as quickly because of some of these pressures. Um, so, yeah, but I think that will change. It's just going to take a longer period of time than we would, we would mm -hmm. prefer. Do you see some variance from state to state? Because when I've talked to people out in the industry, so much of the outlook, at least right. in recent months, has depended on where you are. For example, I'm in Texas where the regulations are not especially strict or have not been since about May or so. You're out in California right. where that's been a very different story in recent months. How much variance is there from one place or the other? I guess to add a little bit to it, one of the factors that I heard people speculating about in 2020 was that in some of these places where the regulations were especially cumbersome, you might see some deferred maintenance just based on the difficulty of getting people out and about to, you know, take these readings and do these inspections. Whereas, of course, a lot of places, you know, the restrictions just have not been very um, enforced or in place really since about May or so. So right. how much difference do you see from one place to the next? And how much is that potentially going to change in your view in the coming months? Well, uh, we do see a difference. For instance, in California, they're very regulatory uh, sort of environment, mm -hmm. and it did slow slow the industry down, and less so in other places, but still there was an effect. And uh, so I, I don't know, you know, it's hard to say by a percentage, Ben, that you know, this was 10% worse than, okay. than another part of the country. But, but yeah, even so as a company, even though we're an essential business, 
we still enforced many of the regulations that we have to deal with in California only for a safety uh, only for safety reasons. We wanted to keep our our workers as safe as possible, and even mm-hmm. though that there were different laws in different states. It was still difficult, and so we did struggle with that, and uh, we have seen, especially since since Thanksgiving, an uptick in the virus, even in our own company, and we have to take measures to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's been very difficult. What do you do as a company? I'm just curious, when you see that, that type of uptick, I'm sure it's pretty frightening, and you know, given that it happened around the holidays, I'm sure you're not an outlier in any stretch, but what are some of the things you do when that crops up in your business? Well, we follow the uh, CDC guidelines for most everything that we deal with. So if somebody uh, is ill or and then tests positive, there are strict measures that we take, and they are off work for a long period of time, mm-hmm. uh, 10 to 14 days. And, and I can't tell you that I'm up on the latest CDC protocols, but we follow them, and they are enforced. And so that is difficult on the remaining workforce, sure. and that creates a, a some amount of uneasiness, or I won't say panic, but uneasiness if somebody's sick, that the rest of the team is worried, was I exposed? And we take great measures to keep each other from being exposed. So that hasn't really changed, and we've been very strict about it, and um, I think it is helping us, but still, over the Thanksgiving holidays and even Christmas, where people were around family members or even people outside of their own family, that caused a great upheaval in the illness, and 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 we saw a, a much greater impact in health and then our business mm-hmm. as a result. So, speaking of the government, there's a new U.S. administration in 2021, and speaking of the pandemic, you're also looking at more people getting vaccinated in the weeks and months ahead. What types of changes are you expecting? You know, this is the end of January when we're talking. If we're talking again in six months in the summer. How do you expect these broad changes on a nationwide level to affect your business and others within the, you know, the corrosion control and cathodic protection industries? Right. Gosh, if I if I could predict six months out, I'd be uh, really a whiz. But, <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, I think six months will be a different conversation. I hope that we're seeing. A subsid, you know, a subsiding of the the uh, pandemic that the vaccines are helping, but I think it's going to be slow. Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen overnight for sure. Uh, and then with the new administration, I think we're going to see different regulations and you know come around or come back, especially in oil and gas, which mm-hmm. um, may be good for the people like far west as far as work, but not great for the industry mm-hmm. as a whole if you talk mm-hmm. to the to the customer. So, um, and then I think when we started the pandemic, we were told as, as in business that you need, you know, cash is king. You, you better hoard cash. You're going to need it. And that's what has happened. And I think that will lessen as our confidence in the in economy and the reduction of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we'll start to spend money again. But uh, so I think those are certain some of the ways. And technology, of course, has helped us a great deal. And I think that will continue. Uh, seeing technology evolve and change, you know, who knew uh, 10 months ago that we would be where we are today as far as how we meet or how mm-hmm. we talk to each other. Been quite a change. And uh, so I don't think that'll go away completely. But, yeah. uh, so I, I see yeah. that as a change. You mentioned investment. Um, moving forward in the months and 
well, I suppose we should say years ahead. What's in the pipeline yeah. for you all in terms of your development? What types of technologies are you looking to potentially make uh, further advances in these next few years based on the demands you're seeing from the industry? Well, I don't know that's changed a great deal, Ben, and those are are slower to, to develop. Right. We have a couple things in our pipeline that I you know, I would hesitate to even talk about. But uh, and I'm sure that's true for many other companies like Far West in the industry. But you know, development in technology is is going to be, con- you know, I think where we're headed. Whether it's remote monitoring or, or new techniques, I so I see that we're not hearing a lot of different from our suppliers currently. Okay. I think everybody's sort of hunkered down. But uh, you know, I can see things things will change and evolve. You know, businesses change and evolve because we have to um at the outset of the pandemic we changed a lot uh the the economy changed a lot so everybody had to adapt and business will do that we'll continue to evolve and adapt no matter what happens as uh in the in the u.s we just have to so uh it's hard to say and i don't have you know the crystal ball to help us with that ben but i know we will evolve and we will change as we always have how many practices that you've sort of adopted in recent months based on the pandemic in terms of, you mentioned, for example, your suppliers, the feedback you get from them. I'm sure there's a lot less on-site visits, a lot more Zoom and phone calls. How many of those types of, I guess, new practices do you expect to remain in place to some degree even after the pandemic and once we get back to whatever normal is? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think some will remain. Um, while it's great to see our customers and see our suppliers, and we miss that, uh, that's not going to change for a while. And even when it, you know, when the pandemic subsides and we can go back, there's a cost to being everywhere. And so maybe uh, the Zoom or the Teams environment will continue. I know that, as we said earlier, cash was king. Well, we had to cut certain. Uh, spending and and travel, of course, was one of them because we weren't going anywhere in the conventions and and some of those mm-hmm. uh, we certainly didn't get to go anymore. And so we saw cost savings, which helped and because you know offset some of the uh, losses in sales. Right. So I I think from a standpoint, you know, we recognize hey, this is certainly cheaper to do it that way as long as the customer uh, is on board with that. But uh, I don't I see that changing slowly and. Uh, but it has helped us to stay in touch, even in such a very difficult yep. time. Makes sense. Uh, folks, that's great insight from Troy Rankin, president of Far West Corrosion Control Company. Troy, before we let you go, for anyone who wants more information from Far West or wants to get in touch with you all, how can they do that? Basically, plug whatever you would like to plug from a Far West <laughs> perspective to uh, help people get in touch with you sure. guys. Well, thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. You know, I don't know that we have to do too much plugging. Far West has been around for so long. But, of course, we have our website at farwestcorrosion.com and even our toll-free number at 888-5-FAR-WEST. And in there you can see uh, we have an Ask the Expert program where we're uh, happy to help customers or anybody in the industry with uh, questions that they might have if they don't have resources. And then, of course, in social media, LinkedIn, and all the others that we're involved with there as well. So it's easy to find Far West, And but thank you for that, Ben. Sure thing. And folks, that's where we will leave things on today's episode. If you want more information, um, Troy referenced where you can get in touch with Far West, but for us at AMP, you can check out the 
new AMP website at ampp.org. That's amp.org. And you can also visit materialsperformance.com for all sorts of news related to the corrosion control industry. Also, if you have not already subscribed to this podcast or you haven't left it a five-star review, please do. We're available at Apple, Google, Spotify, and virtually all major podcast distributors. With that, we'll sign off. For Troy Rankin, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks, as always, for listening, and please come back soon for another podcast episode from the MP Interview Series.